0: Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.
1: But anyway,
2: (laughs) that's okay.
1: How long have we been going? Oh, well i c I'll rip part of this off of there.
2: Yeah, and put it on there. And then the volume
1: will get better as I pull this in. Okay. So okay, right.
2: you'll fix it. The
1: podcast.
2: That's that's why you're all trained on all that audio video stuff. So when you don't turn it on, you can figure out a splice stem from later. It's so, so bad. It works out. I'm
1: trying to do so much right now. You're
2: okay. Oh, I know. That's like Oh, shout out to Chief. I didn't I, get a shout out to. him.
1: Now, Chief Geronimo, before he
2: became a chief, mm-hmm. was my driver. He was your driver. Yep, because we didn't we didn't get to cook in our own dining facility, so uh, he became my driver.
1: And he was a specialist at the time.
2: Yep, and I might have been. I think yeah, a specialist. I don't think he was a PFC then. I think he was a specialist when he okay. when he yes. got to the unit. Oh, 14 Thanks,
1: man. <laughs> thanks, thanks, G. <laughs> like, thanks, Chief. He uh, he was in he was in the Pentagon. He was uh, six or e seven. e seven switched over and became a warrant officer. Mm-hmm. That's why we're you know that's why he's Chief. Chief, that's yeah. what you call.
2: He's still G six. And
1: um, that's pretty cool, man. G six.
2: Uh, then you got man. Greiser out there, G seven somewhere.
1: Th- these and those guys like those and Greiser was a sergeant major, mm-hmm. and. And I really related to them because I was enlisted too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and, and I love it that Geronimo switched over and became a warrant officer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that. I mean, I, I, I love it because it also shows not just us, but it shows all of America that you can change. Uproared mobility. I think that's what we were talking about. What in the workforce, you have to have the potential of upward mobility. You may never reach it, and you may find yourself content to say, "Hey, man, I can I I can stay right here." But if you don't have that opportunity,
0: you lose all. Why why would you keep working?
2: Well, we. uh, I mean, everybody. Well, I won't say everybody, but I assume everybody. I did. You did. We all knew Geronimo was either going to be the next third major of the army or something else. You know, he was. Oh yeah. Because he was, he, was, he, he
1: was dedicated for life. Oh uh, yeah. Like here's a guy that you look at and you realize, man, he's got the same drive that you have.
2: He's, he was. And,
1: and I, I looked at that and I thought, like, oh, so cool. And Greiser, same thing. Mm-hmm. Then, I'll never forget. We had a little bit of downtime in Afghanistan. Never happen often, especially for people that in some places, like. Geronimo, You mm-hmm. didn't just drive. It was like, Geronimo get this. Geronimo get that." Geronimo. You know, like, and, and so like he's orchestrating this whole thing. You mm-hmm. know, I'll never forget. I showed up in your office. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's constant competition going on, especially with this really?
2: one. Really? And I never um, yeah, juggling. And, and they were juggling Rubik's well, cubes.
1: And it's the that. It, oh yeah, like the dude, Rubik's, Rubik's cube too. Yeah. As fast as you something. could. Yeah. But what got me was the juggling. I'll never forget. I come in, and Geronimo and Griser are, are are juggling. You know, it's not like it's not like you spend tons of time doing this. But there's a little bit of down, downtime, and they're juggling. And they're like, and seeing who can keep going. And they're counting. It's something like nine hundred eighty-seven. And they're like, they're just you know, like who can do it the most? And I'm thinking to myself like going to talk, you know, the colonel, and they're like, yeah, he's in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And I'm thinking, holy crap. Of course, I come out, and they're gone. They're off to doing something else. But it was, uh, I thought to myself, like, these guys, man, like, there's no stopping Like, because you, if you get in that idea that, like, well, I got five minutes of downtime, I'm just going to kick back and relax. It's not a healthy thing. Mm -mm. I mean, it it can be healthy to slow down and and take a break and give yourself rest. But it's not healthy just to stagnate. And in an area like where we were at and what we did, I'll never forget, like you did some speech and you said, this year alone in the Korangal Valley, we fired more ammunition than they fired in all of Iraq. And that means a lot of things. It means that we we very, very busy. We were in one of the most dangerous places in the world. Um, I didn't even know it until I was talking to you at one point, and you were like, "Did you not know you were in the Korangal Valley?" <laughs> I said, "No, I thought I was back in Jalalabad." And you're like, "What about when you flew out here with me and we did this?" Yeah. I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, I, I, but I wasn't. I just got on the plane. You know, like my job was totally different. As a chaplain, I'm there to listen to people's stories and." where we went and what we did wasn't my responsibility that was yours <laughs> and and the others that directed me to you know get on a plane and had to fly a couple places with colonel spazer that was well,
2: well that's that was that's, important you do these things that was important because we had lots of lots of soldiers out at all different locations you know four or five different major locations there in afghanistan and uh i needed you to get out there and service all of them, even though there may have been chaplains up there in 126's area and six fours area, or, um, uh, I, shoot, slips my mind now, our field artillery guys, uh, Gulf Company's area. Um, Goose. Goose, no. What? No. Goose. Goose. Oh, they were in Metterlom, Mether- is where they were at. They are in Metterlom, because the 6-4 uh, was up at Fobbostick, And then Dwayne's guys, Fox Company, had the Korengal and Pesh Valley.
1: I've interviewed at least one of Dwayne's guys on here.
2: And then Captain Tazar, uh, his folks were down at 2-2 before she came up to Alpha Company down in Kandahar. But it was important for you to get out there and see those guys so they knew um, that their battalion wasn't just not there for them, not out there, even though they're out there covered by other chaplains. So it was important. Because I thought it was important that you, you got out there and, uh, um, and uh, filled that gap for when I didn't make it out there for a convoy or, or whatever the case may be, so.
1: And I, and I did it a few times. You would never mm-hmm. let me get in the convoy.
2: No, no.
1: I'll never forget, you said, you said, i'm not gonna call kate up and tell her you died when you didn't have to this is not a sightseeing trip you can get in the helicopter
2: Yep. well we even went to i think we went to medderlam together the one time to see mm-hmm. uh captain conway's guys down there in matter at the one time a change of command
1: somewhere. yeah
2: it was it, it was his change of command because remember he came up to be the three the last part of uh the deployment okay. captain conway so when he changed out at uh, golf, oh.
1: that's where I got that picture of you flicking me the bird.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was it. We were we were waiting for the helicopter to get there. We were waiting I, for the helicopter. I thought again.
1: I was going to take a picture, and he's like, "No, so you're not." <laughs> right. I just told on him I'm sorry. Oh, that's
2: okay. <laughs> that, so that is definitely okay. Can I get a copy okay. of that picture?
1: If I could find the thing, I probably don't have it anymore. Like I, you know, like I took one one thing I took real seriously was the idea of security. You know, um, we don't talk about numbers. We don't talk about places. We don't talk about anything that can hurt anybody else. Because mm-hmm. we're still at war in Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't have pictures of that stuff up there. You know, it's like uh, there's one picture of me up, and I blurted all the stuff around me out. And I, I guess, you know, I worked in the morgue.
2: Mm-hmm. And, um, that was... Uh, that was... A big deal for our battalion that we were, we ran the mortuary affairs facility for that that area. But it was it was a toll on a bunch of you guys because in a BSB there's only one mortuary affairs trained, yeah, a person, it's an someone, yep, yeah, Sergeant Stoner, who was the best, yeah, the I'm, best I've ever, still the best I've ever day. ever been around. But you, at the rest of it, you take out a hide and. Uh, you, you, and Jeff Asenik kind of led that effort down there with the guys from the SpO. The SpO guys kind of all signed up for it and said, "Hey, we'll do that."
1: Well, they volunteered, and that mm-hmm. was just—I'll never forget some of those guys. And and I—I I won't say their names for what they because the weird thing about working in there was there's dead, there's there's us. Mm-hmm. It's dead, our bodies. And it's the last bit, they call it remains. And that's not really true. It's the remains of the flesh, but the deeds and the love and the care and the compassion. To this day, some of those people live in my mind. They're alive, they're alive in other folks. And it's not, they're not dead, they're alive. Mm -hmm. And so in one sense, the idea of remains is wrong but it's it's that tangible we get to say goodbye And after battle you can't always view the remains again at right home. but we have to get the remains home there's a great movie i think it's called taking chance
2: okay that they sure. they
1: carry uh what's the guy's name that's been in hundreds of movies uh, somebody out there should know this um he's been in like there's a there's a thing like how many you know removed as he been in this guy's been in tons of movies mm-hmm. and anyway he he escorts a body mm-hmm. back to a hometown and it's and it shows like what kind of goes on and, Kevin I, and I've been bacon. what's that Kevin bacon. Kevin bacon I've um I mean I've knocked on a door before and been there when they told somebody this is the last you know like um that duty it's no easy thing mm-hmm. and one of the things that a chaplain has to do doesn't have to do but has the privilege of doing is honoring the dead you know and and you nurture the living and you honor the dead and there's man it was it it was important and you made sure it was important and those guys in the spo shop made sure it was important and we cared for those people and we cared. Enough for those bodies that they were always taken care of, and Sergeant Stoner was like, man, mm-hmm. that guy was meticulous. You yeah. talk about a little OCD; like everything was done correct, and um, and, and like you said, Major Sodnik was the the higher ranking guy in the yep. room. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked me, like, why are you in there? I don't remember looking at him and saying, well, why not?
2: Well, and you did a did a great thing because you were. They're working side by side with them in there, but then um, following any time we had um, activity there at the Mortuary Affairs Point, then uh, once they were able to step away from that, you had those counseling sessions with with yeah. the group to make sure, hey, how are you doing, whatever, and that that helped serve those guys um, throughout yeah. that deployment and. Probably beyond the deployment, too, because if that's not done, they, they can't get rid of that. Well, there were six of us in that room, and all six of us
1: are still in touch with each other. Mm-hmm. Now, it'll, it'll be some years in between sometimes, but we've each talked to each other, and, and I love that. I, I, like It's a level of, like I'll never forget, three guys, three girls. And I'll never forget being there with them. And I'll never forget the fact that, like, everybody in the BSB that came by there was respectful.
2: I've oh, never they seen knew.
1: a level of respect yeah, for anything.
2: I, I, yeah, yeah. Our, our soldiers knew w- what was going on there and okay. how important important it was. And we're p- probably glad they weren't the ones <laughs> they are doing either, just like there was probably a lot of them glad they weren't, you know, Alpha Company, Bravo Company guys, or the FSCs out there hopping in that convoy and driving out—you um, know, 40 plus convoys. I think uh, Alpha Company did, and uh, then all the FSCs, the number of convoys they did. So, that was a you bunch know, there's, of yep, yep. Maybe, so. maybe
1: more than Alphas. I mean, like, uh, I was, yeah, I mean, was... I
2: mean, Fox Company. Uh, I mean, Delta did the fewest because they were the furthest away. That was who Alpha Company was pushing to. And then Fox, uh, they had the most direct engagements mm-hmm. of any unit in our, uh, in our footprint, except for the units they were supporting up there in Korengal and Pesh. So um, definitely a, a time uh, that we needed our chaplain, you, Matt, doing what you did. Um, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I was well, there. Well, uh, I, I bet you, the, I, I know the Alpha Company guys and the Fox Company guys know, but I bet you most people on uh, Fob Fenty didn't know you were out there for every convoy.
1: Now I missed one or two.
2: Okay, probably when it. you were gone. Major Pack told me. Yeah, But <laughs> he but you had, were... He had
1: absolutely track of everything.
2: <laughs> you, were, you were, and not just... And not, But not just our convoys, you know, the FSC convoys, too, Dwayne's folks. And well,
1: what was so, that group that came down from Bagram? Remember,
2: they, called uh, them, they got this, in a firefight and they called them yeah, in the middle the, of CS, the night. the CSSB that pushed from Bagram down to us, the trans unit from that. These guys they call
1: unit. in the middle of the night. This guy gets a bullet, grazes his helmet. Remember that? You yeah, remember, yeah, remember I remember them coming. Of the night and they're like, yep. I asked him what they wanted. They said they wanted the chaplain. And you had to go find me because I was talking to somebody somewhere. Oh, big surprise. And <laughs> he was like, strangest thing. I asked them what they wanted and they asked for you. So I was like, okay. So I go meet this group. We talk. I don't know. You know, the, the guy that had the bullet hit in mm-hmm. his helmet. And he lived. Mm-hmm. He wanted to talk to me. So we talked a little bit. And right before I went to WTU, on Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Kate and I would ask uh, one of the chaplains that I worked with in the hospital, his daughter was having a birthday party, or was invited to a birthday I don't know, you know how kids are, you guys are, I don't know, so I... <laughs> but they're doing their bowling thing. And so we go, because he had this, uh, this chaplain had children, and we loved his children, and we loved him, and They they loved us, and so, you know, it's like, find people you care for you go Mm -hmm. do what they're doing right Mm -hmm. so we go to this bowling thing and this guy walks over to me he's looking at me and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him like I know this sucker man I know this guy but I don't know who he is he and we're in civilian, so it's even worse you know and um and I'm hurt and I would get you know I was headed for the WTU Mm -hmm. and I knew it so I was kind of I was probably just yeah not my best uh form he says to me he says uh were you there for a Bagram? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and we get it talking. He was the E7 that ran that thing. Oh, yeah? And turns out that fellow that got... Never got an award. Never got... got a,
2: a Purple Heart or nothing. Cab or nothing? Nothing. Hmm.
1: So this guy put something in, and it, and this is... What year is that, Kate? We were there, Two thousand.
2: Two thousand.
0: No, because I was oh, in the, uh, oh, by 2012,
1: kidding. I was in the. No, the yeah, because that's the year I went into. It could have been early 13. So it could have been early 13 or 2012. And he said, I just got him an award. I mean, you get shot in the head, you live. They take the helmet away because they're not going to let you keep that. They're just, oh, this is like it works, you know? <laughs> like, and, and I I've, I would love to do a vet church interview with that soldier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, He's out there somewhere. I, I don't I think the guy said he was still in at the time. Mm-hmm. And he just kept driving on. No award. No recognition. And this E7 got him something. Finally. Like he took all the And he was telling me the story. And the stuff he had to go through to get it. Because they were brought together. And there's right. who are you really under. And who mm-hmm. does. You know. Like it's a big mess. As war is. Mm-hmm. But. How many years did you do all together?
2: Well. Uh, 27 and a half on active duty. So, and then the four or five years I was in the National Guard when I was in high school and college.
1: And you, so you were so you enlisted?
2: Yeah, yep. Well, what was, was your was job? A, I was 11 Hotel, a tow gunner.
1: So, and you started at it?
2: Well, my basic in AIT was at Fort Benning, Georgia. Same
1: place I started. <laughs> Of course, you weren't. You said you weren't at Sand Hill then. You were at the No. University.
2: I was at Harmony Church. That, so that was summer of '85, I believe, when I went to basic training. And I think it was the last year Harmony Church was open because the following year I went to AIT, and we were at Sand Hill, and it was brand spanking new. Yeah, you it know? was
1: a new one when I got there. It was a mess. Oh, it was brand <laughs> spanking new.
2: So. I'll, yep, and then I returned. Uh, Turned to Fort Benning again for Airborne School, and then again for the All-Army Wrestling Team.
1: You were on the All-Army Wrestling Team? mm
2: -hmm. In 94.
1: All-Army Wrestling Team? Yep. So, why don't you just keep wrestling?
2: What's that? What happened there? I got hurt. I got hurt. Yeah? Yep, and I think God was telling me it was time to go home and be be a captain in the Army.
1: Didn't some general say something to you, too?
2: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, uh, my brigade commander, when I got invited to go to all-army camp, supported 100% because I was all done with my branch qualifying jobs. I just got done doing two years as a shop officer, which is the premier job for an ordnance lieutenant. So he had no problem going. He was from Lehigh, so that's a big wrestling school up in college up in Pennsylvania. uh, he loved wrestling, so he said, go do it. Yeah. Represent us well. And I was coaching uh, the Fort Hood team at the time, and we got 10 guys invited from from our team to the all-army camp. So it was kind of neat to go to with all of those guys we were coaching. And so
1: I wrestled I, you once.
2: Yes, you did. <laughs> you did pretty well. You she lasted did. about 15 seconds or so, I think. 43. Oh, 43 seconds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 15 seconds short of the minute you're supposed to make it so you could get a four-day pass.
1: It wasn't just my four-day pass.
2: It wasn't just yours. No. Was I going to give it to everybody? Yeah. That
1: was, if if that you, was if you beat
2: me, you're going to get it. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, I
1: remember this. So, like, I know nothing about it. I should
2: have let you win so everybody could have had a four-day pass.
1: <laughs> I know nothing about this man being an army wrestler. Colonel Blanchard did. And I, we were in the bub or whatever, and I just, somebody had said, like, you'd wrestle this stuff, and you're like, well, whoever wins, you know, if you, what was the deal? If you, if, you, if you
2: make it a minute without getting pinned, you got a four day pass.
1: A four day pass. And so in the Army, they don't give raises. You get a little time off, which is like the beautiful, wonderful <laughs> moment of life. Oh, I got a four day pass. Which means you could go within like 200 miles of base or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Well, mm-hmm. 150, I don't know. But I'm being a little cocky. i have Division One ball. I mean, look at this. Wow.
2: <laughs> and you yeah, weighed me about <coughs> a certain amount.
1: <laughs> Back then, it probably wasn't that much. What
2: well, about? probably about 40 or 50. I probably weighed about 190, 195.
1: Oh, because I would have been 230 when I
2: was mm-hmm.
1: traveling. And... Um, I thought, man, well, a guy like him, how hard could it be? <laughs> you obviously didn't.
2: You obviously didn't watch the previous people that I attempted. Wasn't, I wasn't there. I just. Oh yeah, up. you yeah you didn't. So yeah. I
1: challenged you in front of the entire staff. You don't remember this? I was oh, like, I remember. I was like, hey, you're so hot. How about if you, if I make it, everybody in the BSB is a four I hour. think.
2: And I think Jeff came to me and says, please don't hurt him.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> Blanchard comes to me and he said, he said, uh, Chaplain, he said, you need to go like say that you're not gonna do that. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, there's a guy in our unit that's, that's like three or four inches bigger than you. And he's uh-huh, actually, he was. He's, he's young was and big strong. Kid. And I saw him flip this guy over and just pin him in like seconds in like.
2: I think he was one of the first guys that attempted at our first battalion run.
1: And you just like. And so at the battalion run, there's say there's close to a thousand of us.
2: Well, not that many, but it's there's close. it's an 800 person battalion, so oh, pretty I'm close. That's close. It, okay,
1: so, so uh, it's a lot of people. Imagine the scene from Braveheart when they're all around them. Oh, oh, they're all painted blue, but we're not. It's really, not that we're not painted blue, but we've been on a, like a 10 mile run or something that morning. It's probably like probably not 10 three miles, miles, but, but okay. You
2: know, <laughs> We're telling stories here,
0: so, embellishing <laughs> a little.
1: Well, just a little. And so, but I was at the center of this thing, and there's a video or two out there because people I've had their phones out. I've it. seen yeah. pictures, yeah. Because they were told. Yeah, we do have pictures. Yeah. Hey, if the chaplain wins, man, we're all getting a four day. And I've been coached by Colonel Kazi, who's also on the Army wrestling team. Mm-hmm. And I'm holding on to you, and you're like, you're gonna let like, go of my shirt. Right yeah, there. you're like, holding you're my on. shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought to myself, he might break my arm. <laughs> and I let go of the shirt, and within two seconds, they were calling it.
2: <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't let go of my shirt. <laughs> I not. You, know, I might have <laughs> you might have a broken arm.
0: That's so why I, you prefer singlets, Bradley? What's that? That's why you prefer singlets. Yeah, it's
2: hard for me to get a hold of singlets. You know. The what? Singlets. Really? The wrestling... Uniform you wear.
1: Oh, okay. Well then, I'm not gonna say it's, it's not great. big
2: sleevy sleeves and stuff hanging off, you know, for or people's arms like, to get. They're
1: like yoga pants for wrestlers. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, say what you do. Then that that yoga pants wrestler threw you down on the ground like a sack of potatoes. Well, you did. And nobody got a four know. day pass.
1: It's true. It's true. You whooped my ass. <laughs> but. You know, one thing I, I loved about that and everything else is you you love those people. Mm-hmm. Like, they were your children. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I remember, like, I remember telling you, hey, so-and-so has done a bad deed. They're over there in trouble. I'm going to see him. Okay, you got my support 100%. <laughs> I'm not going to see him because I'm the hammer, but... <laughs> And you were Thor's hammer. You know, there were times when you had to deal out justice. Mm-hmm. But you always supported the individual. Even even when there was... You know, people do some bad stuff. And you still saw their humanity. And it... It changed me a little bit. I mean, like, I, I saw compassion from you. And it was contagious. Just, like, hope is contagious. You know, like, when you see somebody doing good, like, you think, oh, I... Can I could get involved in that. Like it's it's contagious, and your care—you like are also fierce. You know, like you 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 fought with more than one person over more than one issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was always impressed too. Like Liz, I don't I don't know. I mean, like y'all's marriage, woo. Because this guy remembers everything.
0: Well, apparently not in marriage. So. <laughs> He forgets what we do yesterday. Oh, so. well, not that
1: kind of stuff. What he'll remember is how many okay. gallons of gas we used last month. Somebody told me on that report we took up 50,000 gallons of water. Why in the world is it different this month? It, it, it blew me away. You read. You're an avid reader. I don't know if you all can see on the... Y'all just moved in this house?
2: Yeah. How, yeah.
1: Many, how many, like, last week or the week before? On the 30th. Two,
2: two weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: There's... An incredible amount of books. The place is clean. I mean, Kate and I just showed up, and it's a beauty. I mean, I I'm, there's some boxes, but... Hey, Not much. We got clean.
2: about everything out of the boxes. Now we just got to get everything put on the shelves and hung up. And...
1: But you're a reader. I mean, Kate and I were sitting down there looking at books. And I was going to do the vet, ch- per- the vet Church post the other day and hold up your two... Um, you ever seen that show In Between Two Ferns? It, it's called In Between the Ferns or something. It's funny.
2: I don't think I've seen it's, that.
1: Kate's, Kate's over there looking, going like, "It's don't not tell funny, uh Kate.
2: <laughs> it, oh, it's
1: funny. Okay, it's funny. It, it is probably like there's some stuff in there that's. My brother's. It's not always appropriate. Oh, it's a little inappropriate. Oh. Okay, but it, I will
2: later. kind of like a Letter Kenny. Oh my god. <laughs> so, yeah, but I was holding up the, your two little
1: thinking men, and I was. Oh, those are Liz's
2: thinking, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: On the bookshelf, you know, like the bookends. Mm -hmm. But um, you read a lot, and back then you were an avid reader. I'd I'd walk into your office, and you'd have a book that you were reading, and another book that you were reading, and you were trying to learn Spanish.
2: Yeah, that that failed. I felt sorry. I felt sorry for Geronimo in that bit. That's (laughs) one thing Geronimo failed on. He didn't force me to learn Spanish while I was gone.
1: (laughs) It was hard to. I mean.
2: He'd, he'd bring me, like, my calendar or whatever, and he have have little Spanish phrases on it. But
1: Aww, he tried. Well, you cared so much about the people, and you allowed me to challenge you. Like, let's be honest. I mean, there were times that I was like, you're wrong. You're just wrong. God. This is wrong, wrong, wrong. You don't believe it. I know you're doing it. But you know this is wrong. And I remember one time you jumped across your desk and you ripped my rank off my chest. And I know we can't quite, we've tried to figure out for y'all, that we've tried to figure out what that was about. But what I know it was about was this. It was about caring for somebody in, in a way or another. Because you told me at another point, you said, you're, you'll never understand the burden of command. And I was being a cocky asshole. And I said, well, you'll never understand what it's like to be a chaplain because they'll listen to me. <laughs> they'll call me chaplain the rest of my life. And the weird thing is, is I've gone around, they still do, I've tried to introduce myself as Matt. And you know, we talk about Geronimo, because he's on there, or mm-hmm. was. He's making comments. And um, I saw him the other day, and he said, sir, to me. And I'll always be a chaplain. Mm-hmm. And you're always gonna be the commander, everywhere I've went. And I've had person after person, as I've traveled around 80,000 miles of this, told me, you know, Colonel White was a stickler for the rules. I mean, you always believed in the spirit of the law, but you sure liked it when people obeyed the letter of the law. And you pushed people to give their best, to give their all, to become who they, everything they could possibly be. Mm-hmm. You pushed for that, and, you, and you, you didn't accept the fact that like, wow, well, you know, we just, I remember one time you heard, we were at some meeting or something, and somebody said, well, we should be good. And you, I don't know what you said, but it was funny as crap. And I realized right then this should be good mentality wasn't gonna fly with this Colonel White fella.
2: Well I think it's it's important for people to put in the hard work and and strive for something better than what's there today. You know, if if not, then, you know, why are you doing it? But uh um you know, we talked about before how, how important it was that you got out and saw the soldiers. Um, but one of the most important things uh, for me and my sanity was y- you at my desk first thing in the morning uh, when I'd come in and, you know, just asking how I'm doing. And uh, that kept me, you know, focused and on track. You know, I had somebody that was, you know, Checking on me, because, uh, uh, like you said, you know, command command it can be a great a great thing, an enjoyable thing. Um, you got this big family of eight hundred people and their family members, but what comes with that is a lot of responsibility, a lot of stress, a lot of sleepless nights because you want to take care of your family, uh, and there's not you don't always feel like someone's there doing that for you, and that's what you were there for me, uh, downrange, and no, not just downrange, even back in Garrison, uh, checking on me each morning or each evening, um, and, and that helped lift, lift a little burden and keep me focused and moving ahead, so.
1: Where, where did you learn to love like that?
2: Um, I don't know, I assume, I assume, uh, you know, I grew up in a house of women. Uh, you know, my dad died when I was when I was three, getting ready to turn four, um, and uh, my mom raised me and my two sisters uh, from all those years. So I think you know, we learned love from her, but she's uh, like you said. I like to try to do the best or be the best, and. I got that from my mom. She's, she's uh, as competitive, competitive as they come. Even at uh, her age my whole family's not. pretty competitive. Well, yeah, I mean, so she. Pretty awesome. I think when we were at the Pentagon, um, she when she was out game? there playing soccer, she was probably about 62 at the time. 60.
0: She likes to say that Brad she, took her out.
2: She took me out on the yeah, soccer she field. Out. I was dribbling ball, and she came and took me out. 60 plus years old, so. Um, I
1: love your mom. Yeah. She is competitive, mm-hmm. oh. but yeah. she believes in what's right too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I, I think, you know, myself and my sisters got that, got that for my mother, her, her love and compassion, but also her push for her, her kids to have the best that they can have uh, and for her to be there for you. And I think that's kind of how I get that a little bit where I wanted you out to see the soldiers, or I wanted our other leaders to make sure they were, they were present and they were there when their soldiers were doing what they needed to do. Nothing would irritate me more than to go out to an event, a big event, and leadership's not there. Um, so, um, my mom switched jobs multiple times throughout our lives to make sure she could be there for our Events or school events or sporting events, etc., uh, so we could have a good life growing up. So um, I, I would say she definitely rubbed off on me.
1: Warwick Hightower. Mm hmm. It's one of your commanders. Correct. And one day I went to see, after we go to the morning, Bub, you know, I'd see you in the morning, like mm-hmm. you said. I try to go in and see how you're doing. And and most of the time, it was just like got like five minutes to see you, mm-hmm. and that's it, man. Because there's just too many people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, after we'd go to the morning bub battle update brief, I would uh, go have breakfast with these commanders. And there was this fellow named Warwick Hightower. Mm-hmm. And Warwick told me one time he said, "I like to sit down with every one of my soldiers under my command once a month." And give them five minutes. He said, I ain't got more than five minutes. It's just too busy. Mm-hmm. You get know? a bunch of people. Right. He said, But I like to sit down with them and just say, How you doing? How's your life going? And just wait. You did that. You talk about me coming and doing it. Mm-hmm. But you, you walked around and talked to people all the time. You were in places where I was in the army for more than a minute. Other commanders weren't doing that <laughs> stuff you were doing. You did. You walked around and talked to people.
2: Well, I I mean, that you know, I not I mean, a lot of officers uh, when they come in, you know, they set goals for what they want to do in their career, you know. And I knew after I was done with company command that I wanted to be a battalion commander. Um, to be able to, to uh be a leader, be a leader of of soldiers, to execute, you know, that single goal, that mission that we have, um, and take care of them to be able to do that. And that's that's what a commander's responsibility is. Provide the guidance and and uh, the tools and funding, whatever it may be, so your soldiers can go out and do the job and then why they're doing their job, be out there with them. Um, because how do you determine whether they have what they need or ha- do they have the training they need or are the other leaders doing what they need to do to make sure their soldiers are ready to do, execute their mission? And then just to be there and give them a pat on the back and say, hey, good luck, stay safe and we'll see you when you get back. And um, I thought it was important for, um me to be out there when uh, some of the big events were going on or some of the small small events were going on, whether it's promotions or going to do PT with a company or being out for the convoys, whatever whatever the case may be, or going on the convoys with them.
1: Sometimes you were out there and there was no event going on.
2: I saw you out well, there. Oh yeah, well that's true. You got it. <laughs> you just love what, them people. What else are you going to do? Well, in, in speaking of that, I mean, you did. that is i mean that's your job to take care of them right how do you take care of them if you aren't out there why they're doing their stuff well why they're living their lives you know because they're not always turning wrenches or riding in convoys they're also you know recovering doing their laundry eating the dining facility you, and you got to be be visible for them
1: now you're a veteran now mm-hmm. I don't do this with people who aren't um. And you spent six months without a job. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't always pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're you weren't all shaved up. You were you struggled a little bit, just like almost every other veteran, mm-hmm. with this one issue of being alone. You know, they, they say like in the military, you always have a family. You got somewhere to go. You get the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And mm-hmm. after 31 years, you didn't have anything. Well.
2: I mean, I had, I had Liz. You had Liz, but
0: I don't count. Uh, no, I. You know, I'm I. I I'm, joking,
1: I'm joking. Well, okay, so so why? You're a military spouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like Kate, she watched me go through this. You watched Kate watch me before. You know, there was a couple moments, mm-hmm. and you watched other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So so why am I not being mean when I say that?
0: why you're not being mean
1: yeah i'm not i'm not being pejorative no
0: no 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 absolutely not. it's just it's very i mean i understand where you're you're coming from
1: so but for the camera for the people who are watching this some of them don't understand this they don't understand that the that the military spouses are with you, you can't you can't change him
0: oh god no no you hopefully you know what you're getting into not most women know that you know you get married and it is not your standard, he's got a job, you've got a job and we do our thing. No, it's, it's not quite that that at all. I mean, the Army is the top priority because that is, that's his job. That's his responsibility and your, his support system at home. Um, but, you know, sometimes that takes the back, back seat to what is, you know, because his job is critical. It is, I mean, I don't even know how. Well, to describe it, except to say that you marry the man because you love him, and hopefully you know what you're getting into because you realize very quickly, or you know even before you get in there, well, I know um, that his main priority in life is what he's working towards. And in, in his case, you know, we moved to Texas, um, and it was preparing to deploy, and it was a lengthy process before they deployed, and that was a lengthy process, you know, waiting around. And then you come back, or they come back, and that's an adjustment period to try and get back to a norm. Um, but that's, that's... It's that, a new
1: norm, too.
0: I mean, for me it was a new norm. I was obviously never having been in a relationship with a military man. I mean, my brother was in the Army for eight years, so, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same, I was not close enough in any, um, respect where he lived to really get a true feel for how that all worked. Um, but, uh, I mean, he was my partner for life, so he just, you know. So,
1: so what happens when all of a sudden he retires, he graduates, as I kind of like to say. Mm-hmm. I, I do kind of like to think of it as a graduation, mm-hmm. but it's,
0: well, I was a little worried, and I think he and I had those conversations that, you know, his entire life was centered on, you know, something greater than himself, which was the Army. Um, you know, the very patriotic nature that it is to be in the Army, that you're doing something bigger than yourself, something for your country. Um, and then he struggled, and, or I was afraid that he was going to seriously struggle with the fact that, that he was no longer relevant in that sense, and that's a huge shift because that is where all of his life was centered for 30-plus years. Um, So, But he did great. He got his PMP. He's never going to do anything with it because he's not going to take the CE classes. I mean, the guy couldn't sit still. So he was always doing something. (laughs) To include telling me, you really use the F word a lot when you work at home. (laughs) Just saying. Well, you do work at home. I do.
1: You're you're quite the...
0: And thank God... uh, nobody else hears me <laughs> well i
1: mean you know as, as, as i bring this up because there's this when you become a veteran up to that point if you're now even for the folks that do four years mm-hmm. during those four years or two years or whatever it is man it's your life wow. you breathe you
2: eat you have a schedule people yeah. tell you where to be or what time to be there and all of
0: a sudden there's Nothing. It's a community mm-hmm. like no other. let me let me say that as well in the sense that you know there's someone always telling you where everything is when you know we were finally doing our thing, it, you felt the distinct separation. It was kind of being an island of a huge community to you're all on your own and it's crickets. you know there's nobody it didn't it didn't it, it you could see or feel that difference, I guess. So my fear for him was that he was, I shouldn't have feared at all because the man can't sit still. He was always looking for something to do, (laughs) you know. Uh, Well, we can do this and we can do that. Take this certification, work on this, here's what we're going to plan That's important. That's important to help you get through that adjustment period because it's a big adjustment.
1: Well, you know, I think about it. Like, It's not just an adjustment.
2: No, it's a whole change in your way of life. Yeah, it's
1: a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, like I wanted to do this interview with you. guys. I, I love talking about the army stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have become friends mm-hmm. since I was your chaplain. When I was your mm-hmm. chaplain, I was, I was your chaplain. I, we weren't going to be friends. We couldn't be, I couldn't have been your chaplain, been your friend. No. Nope. Um, not that. We couldn't have been friends, but like, it wasn't always easy.
2: No.
1: I mean, I, I had to do things that weren't—they weren't pleasant. You had to tell me to do things that weren't pleasant. Mm-hmm. And some some people think that leadership's like got all these friends, but no. that ain't the case. What I've experienced is the higher up, I, and I saw you. I saw you in the Pentagon as a full bird colonel, and yeah, there were other tons of other Fulbright colonels but you all were all alone mm-hmm. like this is a group of individuals that give their lives to a mission and taking care of like the american whatever it is at the time and it's and, you know that's and civilians we work for civilians when you're in the uniform and um i realized at that point that you know you and i did have a lot in common and we could be friends and, and later on we became friends mm-hmm get, or I should say, end, as as we became friends, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work for me to come in and go, this guy's name's Brad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because as I'm retired and you're retired, in the retired world, you're still sir. Mm. And when I first see you every time, it's, sir, how are you? Ma'am, you know, because you're his wife. But but then it becomes Liz, and and after about forty brat our serves, it might, it might drop it. <laughs> might a brat. drop to brand. <laughs> but you know, and, and it's and and you, you call me chaplain every once in a while too. Yeah. So it's like yeah. it's it's there. And we look at this community of veterans, and you went back to work. You you, you know you mm-hmm. you got a job. You're doing things or. In a. In a company bigger than yourself again yep. and you're still giving back to this country and you're still serving the country and the idea that there is hope for peace you're the farthest thing i know from a warmonger and man although mm-hmm. you work out like a beast i mean your <laughs> your biceps are bulging underneath the t-shirt it's, it's almost embarrassing what, to what be in a biceps? room with you <laughs> like i feel like holy oh goodness i like i should be working out <laughs> Because you've had all these physical things happen to you. Mm -hmm. Stuff that like you... Our readers here, our listeners, (laughs) they probably have no clue, especially the people that served with you. But you've had a lot of physical crap happen. Mm -hmm. And you keep going.
2: You gotta... You gotta do something. You gotta have... uh, You gotta have uh, something in your life that you, you do to stay sane. You know, and mine is... To stay, uh, to stay physically fit and work out, so I enjoy it. I enjoy the, I enjoy the uh, pain, and uh, the uh, um, challenge of doing things, whether it's running marathons or doing CrossFit and killing yourself and well, whatever. You to CrossFit
1: too. You
0: know. Yes, I got them started by the way.
1: And you run marathons.
0: I'm done with the marathons.
1: Are you? Yes.
0: Okay. I only do half.
1: Well, here's your half. <laughs> so, so, you're a man of prayer, too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You prayed for me the other night. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm having a panic attack or whatever, but, you know, you prayed for me. hmm And I, I felt better. I want to discount the idea that God listens to us in any way because I think prayer is really important and um, we talked about letting people put up their prayers on to Church mm-hmm. and you're like that's a good thing
2: yeah I I think think it's a very good thing because the more people you get praying for for people the more people you got helping
1: y'all are also people of science both of you you're great with, with numbers and math mm-hmm. and the whole like empirical method of deduction and, and thinking about things, but you're both people of faith. How's that work?
0: It's a balance, I think. What do you mean? Um, I, I, I think it's, to some extent, everything's related. Uh, and, it's, and it's a balance. Um, and and because it's related and if you I I think faith comes with from within and Faith you carry with you and it it isn't in a building. It's part of you as is the understanding that to everything on earth. There is a science and there's a balance in all of it
1: Yeah I think that's well said
0: Thanks. I wasn't sure where I was going with that, but it came out, so we're (laughs) good. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.